Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. It's great to be back uh, with our weekly show, Taking Care of Business. I hope everybody has recovered from the eclipse yesterday. I didn't have a chance to uh, go out and uh, look at it, but I saw 5,731 pictures on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and uh, Instagram, so I I saw it, and I'm okay. Uh, My guest uh, this wonderful Calgary morning is going uh, to discuss verbally the written word. Uh, my guest is Pat Oldman, co-owner and co-publisher of three regional magazines, Business in Calgary, Business in Edmonton, and Farming for Tomorrow, as well as a national magazine, which we hope not to use, called Canadian Funeral News. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, David. Thanks for being our guest. Um, let me kind of uh, share with the, uh, our audience a little bit about you. So, Pat has been active in the publishing business for almost or just over 30 years, uh, covering many industries and sectors. Uh, Pat Business Partner is his brother team. Uh, and since the, day, since the first day you guys in, incorporated in, to, in 1992, Correct. your partners. Wow, that's uh, awesome. I did learn something about you that I didn't know, uh, and that is um, you own and operate an agricultural farm of over 3,200 acres, and you raise cattle and grains in North and East Saskatchewan. Yeah, that takes us right back to our roots. Uh, we grew up on the farm, and it's uh, hard to get that out of your blood. So. I see. that. Well, that was my next question. Is is it a hobby, investment, or going back to your roots? And I think you answered <laughs> all of them in one shot. Um and I guess with your vast experience uh, with publishing and media, this interview is going to be very easy for you. So our job is to try and make you think a little bit deeper and maybe sweat a little bit. Is that okay? That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, you're involved with many charities and community organizations, but the one that you're most active with is the uh, charity called uh, Business for Calgary Kids, uh, together with other dedicated group of local business people. What, what do you do in that uh, charity? Uh, that came together just about 12 years ago now, and uh, one of our good friends in uh, Calgary Business Associate basically was sitting there looking at his Rolodex going, you know, Calgary has been such a good city to us, it's time that we give back. So he got on uh, Rolodex in those days, uh, he and another friend each called 12 of their buddies and said, look, let's get together, throw a little golf tournament, and if we could raise twenty or $30,000, that would be fantastic, and we'll give it back to a children's charity. So that's how the uh, that's how it began. Um, we achieved much greater success than that right off the hop. Uh, you're, you're being a little bit humble. Yeah, you guys, uh, last time good. I checked, you raised in your last golf tournament uh, about a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, a little, little better than that, actually. Yeah. Uh, the, the group of businessmen that come together to do this, uh, they all have big hearts. Uh, they all appreciate and they all uh, care for the community in Calgary here. So... Everybody does their part. Nobody has to do uh, too much heavy lifting, and yeah. uh, we come together with some great sponsors. And uh, yeah, we're we're up over the two million dollar mark now. Um, every year we give it to a different children's organization. Uh, 
try to do capital projects to uh, have something that will be there for the long term. Right. And when I when we did the research, we found that it was over a cup of coffee. Was it a cup of coffee or beer? <laughs> well, all good ideas start <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> it, might, it might have been a cold beer at the yeah. end of the day. So, so that's the first uh, piece of fake news we're dealing with, right? <laughs> it was coffee and not uh, beer. Yeah. Um, Pat is married to Jackie and is a proud father of his son, Cole, and daughter, and I hope I will pronounce it right, Shawaki. 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 Sorry. Uh, which means in? That's a Blackfoot word, and it means our precious gift, loosely translated. Oh, perfect. But that's why she got that name. <laughs> I see. Um, and, and, you know, for someone who is in the media and, and uh, your publications, in your publication, you can find many, many interviews. And people kind of, from different walks of life, you guys interview a lot of people. It was very hard to find something about you. <laughs> you don't share much with the public. I, I always say I know which side of the camera I belong on and which side of the interview I belong oh, on. Oh, I but, see. So. Uh, today it's an honor to be here. <laughs> so this is going to be different for this you. This is very different for me, but... Perfect. So uh, let's uh, talk about the history. So where 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 are you from? Are you Calgarian? Are you Calgarian only now? A, you already said that you're from Saskatchewan. I'm a Northeast Saskatchewan boy. We came from a very small town called uh, Wadena, Saskatchewan. That's where I took my uh, schooling. It's about two hours east of Saskatoon. Um, so th- that's where we started. My mom and dad had a, a very small farm, uh, a couple quarters of land, and uh, I was number nine out of 10 kids, uh, seventh son and one little sister. And so we came from a, a very large family uh, on a very small farm. I see. And uh, I guess no TV, two hours east of Saskatchewan, <laughs> of Saskatoon, uh, many years ago. We, we, no, we, we had all the, the, the uh, creature comforts, if you will, I guess. But, uh, you know, I always, when, we, when we grew up, money was certainly not one of the things we ever had. I and, see. Uh, and you said you were, what? Tim kids? Yes. And uh, Tim is, uh, your partner is number? Uh, Tim is number seven. I see. And uh, how do you choose one over the other as your partner? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I, no. I hope I'm not <laughs> opening any Pandora cases here with the family. No great master plan. Uh, uh, evolution and it evolved and we were both uh, together in Calgary and an opportunity presented and uh, and away we went. And the rest of the family is still in Saskatchewan? Uh, no, there's a few in, in Alberta and, and the rest in Saskatchewan. There's uh, three of us in Alberta, I guess. And, I uh, see. So you grew up in a farm. Uh, was it homeschooling or did you guys go to a school? Uh, no, my, da- my dad was the farmer but he also drove the school bus so we were first on last off every every day um school was only 10 miles from home 10 12 miles from home but it took us about an hour and uh three quarters to get there due to the the route the pickup the pickup and the drop off uh, but that's how we grew up and it was it was a it was a good good upbringing i see and um you know uh, so your father was a farmer and a bus driver so he was planting the seeds of entrepreneurship in you? <laughs> uh, my, my father was playing a hard worker, as was my mother, uh, to get together. But uh, my dad's typical day, he would wake up at five in the morning. We had a small dairy, so he would milk the cows. He would then drive the school bus uh, from 7.30 till nine to get us to school on time. And then he had a job in town where he worked at the local butcher shop from mm-hmm. nine till three. And then he would drive the bus home, do the dairy, and then he would start farming. So. He had a lot on the go to raise us 10 kids and keep us fed and clothed and <laughs> off to school every day. 
And um, how does it work when you have uh, 10 uh, siblings or nine siblings? Uh, and uh, is there a hierarchy? Is one helping raise the other? It's not an easy task. Like we have three, and I'm happy to be happy in empathy nester now. When when we were young, the biggest one always won. That was the hierarchy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no 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 secret there. But as things have went, we're, we're very fortunate. Our, our family gets along. Uh, all in all, uh, a crew that big, I think, very well. Uh, August long weekend we just celebrated. It's a uh, 40th or 41st year that our whole family's come together for the August long weekend. So nice. as a crew that size, I think there was. Uh, around 68 with all the kids. siblings and grandkids and great grandkids. So, uh, uh, like I say, we we do pretty good. And, and let me guess, uh, you all played hockey. Not one of us, hardly. <laughs> we, Whoa, we were that's a, a shocker. <laughs> we we were a fastball team. Uh, we always played sports on the farm. If you had a ball and a stick, you could make up some kind of a game. But when it came to hockey and the equipment and the back and forth to town, uh, simply there weren't the resources for it. I and, see. So baseball was the was. game? Yeah, fastball. Fastball, fastball. I see. Yeah. And uh, so did you uh, play any sports in school, in high school? or? Yeah, lots. Uh, volleyball uh, was the main one. We played some broom ball as we grew up. We never learned to skate as kids, so when we got older, we could run. We played broom ball. Um, Badminton, fastball, pretty near everything. Okay. Like I said, a stick and a ball, and you could make a game. <laughs> I guess that's uh, how it works uh, in remote areas. Yeah. <laughs> um, and while you know, growing up is especially, let's say, high school, or did you uh, help on the farm, or did you find any job and any extracurriculum? Did you do, or the, the remote kind of uh, upbringing was a little bit tough to get? extracurriculum? Uh, helping on the farm was just a, a natural. I, I think we, we grew up in a, what we called a, a work environment. Uh, as, even as a young, young person of six, seven years old, that was recognition, that was respect from the rest of the family and, and from our parents. So there was always an element of your chores and, and helping out. And as I said, we had a dairy, uh, just a small dairy, but there was always uh, lots of work to do uh, on that level. So um, yeah, growing up was always busy. Uh, I actually quit high school in grade 10 and left home when I was 15 years old. So that cut out a little bit of, as you call it, maybe later childhood or, or uh, those years when you had a driver's license even yeah. and could go have some fun. Um, but uh, up to that point, like I said, yeah, there, there was always lots of work to do. So you quit school at grade 10 and uh, you're 15, you leave your house. Where do you go? What do you do? Uh, city of Saskatoon, two hours away. Uh, took a bus there. The Metropolitan. <laughs> <The Metropolitan. laughs> uh, took a bus and I got a job uh, working at a uh, at a uh, meat shop, uh, Dominion Stores of Canada at the time. Uh, I worked there for two and a half weeks until somebody actually read my resume and realized I was underage to be uh, under workers' compensation. <laughs> and that was the end of my first job and the only time I think I've ever been really fired. So I see. Uh, <laughs> uh, did that from there. I, I got another job with another one of my older brothers. That's the beauty of a big family. There's uh, you know lots of contacts and, and people. He owned a welding and machine shop, and so I worked for him for uh, a year and a half or so. In Saskatoon? Yes. Yeah. And then I went back to Wadena for another job uh, in a farm machinery dealership. And there was one of those aha moments when you look over at the guy next to you and uh, you're doing the same job. He's been there for 20, 
two years, uh, you've been there for a month, you're doing the same job and he's making a dollar an hour more than you. Oh, so wow. I, uh, at that time, determined maybe school was a good idea to go back and try again. So and what did you do? I, I did. I just went back to our home school. So I'd been gone for uh, two years, uh, went back, got my grade 11 and 12, and then uh, carried on, went to SIAST, uh, which is the technical institute in Saskatoon, and uh, got my mechanical engineering diploma. So it's oh, I see. two year. So mechanical engineering was your kind of ambition at that time? Uh, at that time, yeah. I see. Yeah. <laughs> really helps you today. <laughs> Natural progression yeah. from mechanical so, to publishing. You, you graduate university or at, at tech Saskatoon school, yeah. Tech School. And then uh, then what? You moved to Calgary or you did, you did stay in Saskatoon? Yet? I moved to uh, Red Deer. I got a job offering with a with an engineering firm, engineering construction firm in 1986. And for those of you in Calgary who remember 1986, it was a terrible time in the oil patch. Um, not unlike, you know, I won't say unlike now, but there wasn't a lot going on. So I did have a job, but it, it really wasn't training me for what I had hoped for. Uh, construction industry is a, it's a, it's a tough industry, uh, hard on home life. They send you up into Northern Alberta and you'll get back when you get back. So after one year, um, I determined that that wasn't my route. And again, I had another older brother who was in the printing industry in Saskatoon. He had a client who was a publisher in Calgary who needed some help. I came in to help there. And that was my transition from mechanical engineering to publishing. Um, so so it's, it's default transition? It was, it was an opportunity. Um, yeah, and I mean, I didn't think that I was going to love it right off the bat, but it didn't take me very long to, to realize that, that, that I did enjoy I enjoyed it to begin with, and then I think I became very passionate about it a very short time after. Um, when we come to help this gentleman in Calgary, uh, six months after we came, he said, look, I'm going to sell my whole company. Are you guys interested? And when we bought it at that point, we had four magazines, um, office in Ontario, office here. And what year was that? That was 1987. Okay. Or 88, I'm sorry, early 88. And, and when you say we bought it is uh, with Tim or it was your, with your older brother that had the printing shop? It was my older brother. Uh, Tim was involved as well in the early days. So we owned a small percentage of a larger company. Uh, five years in is when Tim and I, 1992, we decided we'd we weren't on the same path as my older brother. and uh, We don't need the older comment. brother anymore. No, the, young, well, the, young, the young kids can make it now and go on. We, we had a different vision, I think, would be the, the, the fairest way to put it. And uh, we did a management buyout from him, and that's when Tim and I started in 92. I see. And uh, we'll go and uh, we'll discuss uh, your partnership with Tim uh, shortly. Um, but we have to take our, like every media, we have to take our first commercial break. Uh, you know about uh, commercials, right? <laughs> I do. And I appreciate them. <laughs> uh, so to our listeners, uh, make sure, Cassandra is going to share. We found really two interesting articles uh, in your magazines, and we're going to share it with on our social media. The first article we're going to share is Why Magazines Matter. Uh, that was published in the Calgary, in the Business in Calgary magazine. Uh, open uh, your a, a new tab on your computer and uh, follow us on our social media. Cassandra, the floor is yours to uh, put the uh, article on, and we will be back after the commercial break. Thank you. 
Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back with our guest, uh, Pat Oderman, co-publisher and co-owner of uh, Business in Calgary, Business in Edmonton, Farming for Tomorrow, and Canadian Funeral News Magazines. Uh, Pat, before we kind of got into the commercial break, we kind of got to 1992 when Tim and you buy uh, uh, your share of the company from your uh, older brother. And... um, one question I have, because I can all relate to my brother as well, I have an mm-hmm. older brother as well, is where do you afraid to have a brother as a partner? Is there, like, where are you afraid that it can create some, you know, problems? Uh, there, there's always an opportunity for problems to arise, I think, with any partnership. Uh, a brother certainly brings in uh, more dynamics uh, into it. Uh, Tim and I have always had the philosophy, though, that... If two people always agree, one of them is unnecessary. And so we can bang heads pretty hard uh, from time to time. Uh, But typically, if he believes strongly enough in something, I will back off. And then we both get on the same page and try to make it work as best we can. Um, And and I think the same goes for him. If if one of us believes strongly enough, uh, the other will back off and and we go forward uh, trying to make it the success from that point on. Um, The... 
you know, the fact that he was my brother, uh, like you say, certain dynamics that, that make it maybe a little tougher, but there's a lot of good that comes from that too. You come from the same upbringing, you come from the same value system to yeah. a very large degree. So, so those are never issues. It's just what direction you're going. So when you kind of look at the team character and your character and you go, uh, do you complete each other or you're kind of the same cloth or? Uh, no, we're, we're uh, certainly somewhat different. I think we share certain uh, skill sets, but uh, Tim is uh, uh, very good at organizing and keeping structure to our companies. Um, I am not. I'm not uh, very strong on the organizational skills. Uh, yet when it comes to doing something like this or speaking at an event, Tim is quite happy to stand back and, and let me take on a little more of the face of the company. Um, he certainly has the abilities to, to sell and has uh, right along with me and, and uh, run the company. But I think that would be the biggest difference is that he's he's very strong on the, the structure and the systems in our company to make sure that the magazine goes out correctly and on time all the time. I see. And, and earlier you just uh, said that uh, if one of you has a strong opinion about something, the other guy will back up and then you together try to make it happen. Uh, what happens if it doesn't happen? The guy who had to back up goes, ha, I told you. <laughs> nope. That, that honestly does not happen. Uh, uh, they say we'll, we'll both go as, as uh, once we've made the decision to go forward, you give it your best shot. And if it didn't work, it just didn't work. So, no so need, there's always a new idea tomorrow to try again. You, you mentioned the word decision. So what is the decision process, guys, you have? Well, that usually takes place over a cold beer as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we didn't come from a formal uh, business background and, and, you know, that I think sometimes has been our strength and sometimes possibly could have served us better to have a little more uh, structure. But the decision-making process has been just that. Both Tim and I are in the office early, uh, you know, it's a coffee in the morning, uh, you, you keep working, working it through. Uh, uh, you know, throwing it back and forth, bouncing it off of one another to try and determine what the best path is, uh, like you said. Let, let me throw kind of a, a continued kind of part of the question. So when you make a decision, you guys make a decision, do you have to have all the information laid out so you make a decision or gut is kind of a big portion of the decision-making process? A gut decision is, is huge in our world. Um, <laughs> we had indigestion for the first few years doing that <laughs> because uh, we, we made the decisions without a lot of experience. And uh, we went to the School of Hard Knocks for, for quite a few years on that. But as we get older and, and a little more experienced in our field, certainly, uh, we make those gut decisions. Uh, the Farming for Tomorrow magazine, for instance, we just purchased this in the last six to eight months. And the decision-making process was really quite short. Uh, the ability to do a proper due diligence was limited. And so it was very much a gut feeling. We knew the industry, we know the publishing sector. Um, you know, is there an opportunity here? Uh, a pretty short evaluation and we were both on the same page. So not a lot of data. Now, last question about the partnership. Um, do you guys have a Prina? Or as it's called in a business world, <laughs> unanimous shareholder agreement? <laughs> Uh, formally, not not as fully as it should be. No, we do not. I see. Um, <laughs> well, that's a that's a risk. There is a risk to it. Um, we're in a position, and and maybe you've heard many business people say this, but um, 
I won't be successful without Tim as a business partner, uh, not nearly as successful, and nor will he. So frankly, we're at the age now where if it's not going to work, probably the, the whole company will go somewhere else and we, we go our separate ways. But, um, you know, to to think that he would take it over or that I would uh, just isn't a part of our, our DNA, I don't think, at this point. <laughs> um, so 1992, you buy uh, your older brother out or buy your share of the and, and have your own company. What was the business plan? Run like heck. <laughs> We, I guess there wasn't a was there a written one or again, was there a, no the the formal part of that business plan was was virtually non-existent. Um, we we raised money uh, as we call it love money, uh, friends and family and associates uh, to to make the buyout. Uh, it took us about a year and a half to actually get a bank to even take us on. Uh, <laughs> after you know after a year and a half of uh, of producing a cash flow in a positive manner and, and showing that we actually had the, the wherewithal to go. Uh, the, the first few years were really just survival mode and uh, the business plan, there was no master plan. When we bought from our uh, older brother, we bought six magazines. Um, some of them were worth very little or held very little value. So we kept paring them down and kept focusing on what was uh, profitable and also what we had a passion for. Uh, in the magazine world as we are in, if you don't have a passion for the publication, you just shouldn't be there. It, uh, it doesn't work very well. So we started with six, pared it down to about three, and uh, that has, has been our focus for, for a lot of the years I see. Uh, going forward. Um, we're going to, I'm going to touch the whole magazine industry shortly. Uh, when did you guys uh, incorporate your first or uh, business plan, mission, vision, um, purpose for the company? Again, formally. Um, oh, you don't have any? No, we don't have any. Uh, that might sound bad as an entrepreneur, but uh, it goes back to the gut feeling and, and where we were going. Uh, Tim and I always you know, have had discussions and, and what does it look like uh, sort of three years out there and then we just we just go to that. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing is we've, we've always been going in the same direction, aiming at that same kind of dot on the horizon, if you will, and uh, formalizing it with, uh, with a business plan uh, written out was just, you know, frankly, never one of our strengths and, and nor was it uh, something that was overly necessary, I guess. We, we kept progressing and the company has grown uh, virtually all the years, I mean, except for this. So how many employees do you guys have today? Uh, 18. 18? Yeah. And how many are there from 1992? Uh, one. One. <laughs> Just about 92, 93, I guess, uh, <laughs> technically. I see. Um, you, you know, we can't discuss with you as a guest uh, just the business without talking about uh, the media. And I promise not to ask you about the fake news, <laughs> uh, which is probably the topic in today's uh, world. Uh, my guess is that in magazines you don't have a lot of fake news, <laughs> unless I'm wrong. The fake news is probably a, um, a, a real plus for us in the magazine world because just by default, we become more and more credible as time goes on. We didn't have to change. We didn't have to truly up our game. Uh, in the magazine world, we've always written the stories. We've always had fact checkers. Uh, we've always proofed it to get it accurate as 
possible, possible, every issue, every story that we do. What the fake news has done is it's, like you say, made us even seem more credible. Um, news happens so fast now that it's more important to get something out there than it is to get it correct. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not even intentionally. Uh, but the fake news is a real issue in the media world today. I don't know where it's going to go. So I have a question for you. You're 30 years in this industry. Yeah. And uh, maybe not in the news industry, but in the printing and, 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 and publishing uh, industry. And and I thought about this when I was preparing for our show today. Um, the fake news, is it a new thing? Or we were naive 25 years ago when we grew up to think that the older media is very, very objective and they don't put their opinion and agenda into the articles because 25 years ago you read a paper every morning there was always opinion and objective in in the news i mean even back then you could read your right-wing newspaper or your left-wing newspaper and you knew where it was i think that <clears throat> difference was you knew where your source was so you you could choose and you could understand where it was coming from with so many uh, news veins out there now and, and sources, it's, it's a little tougher sometimes. I mean, if you listen to CNN or Fox, you know where that is. <laughs> but if, if you're, uh, you know, simply picking up a feed from maybe an unknown source, and, and I think truly where a lot of the fake news is coming from is uh, agendas that you may not even understand uh, or pick up by the way that they're presenting themselves, that's where it's changing and it's just so immediate now like even the companies that try to do it right I mean we'll have a disaster that if you watch it be reported throughout the day it changes so much that the first one was really just a shot in the dark yeah not intended to be fake but not accurate either and I don't think that helps the news cycle so a few years ago when computers became more and more available and we all have handhelds that we get CBC and uh, BBC and CNN every second. Uh, how is the printed, printing media doing today? Print is doing really well and, and first off, the biggest job that we have every morning uh, going to work is that we need to distinguish what print is. We, we are not, I mean we are a printed piece but you need to kind of separate the various parts of print in, in order to uh, answer that question properly. So, uh, you know, I got home last night and, and Ikea had a 324-page catalog sitting on my table for me. And and when you look at that, that's a, a $60 billion company and they print this thing in 28 countries and 17 languages. So print is very strong if you have a brand and a company behind it. I mean, that's one part of the print cycle. The the other side, obviously the newspapers are, are just getting beat up badly. Uh, I don't think there's anybody that will argue that. The only thing that I, I look at the newspapers and I, I question how much of it is truly because of digital and how much of it is because they've followed that path and, and they're almost uh, shooting themselves in the foot, if you will. Um, not to pick on our Calgary yeah, Herald, yeah. but you, you, when you look at the Herald, we don't have local news anymore. Very little, very little local news. Globe and Mail this morning just shut down their Atlantic Canada distribution. And if you read the the uh, statement from the CEO, I have no idea what he was trying to say. Uh, we have to shut it down because the print is too expensive and we can no longer serve that market. On the other hand, he said that print will be around a long time because it's a big source of our <laughs> revenue. So. Um, 
Yeah, they, they're having a real internal struggle with themselves. I think if he'd have been honest, he would have said that we don't serve the Atlantic Canada market, therefore they quit reading and therefore we're not going to send <laughs> newspapers. I think that would have been the, the honest uh, thing. So uh, I, I hate to use the term facts because with the fake news, everything's a fact and truly it's not a fact. Yeah. But what I will refer to in the magazine print and magazine publishing is the data that's available. And anybody who cares to look at the data on the magazine publishing sector, it, it's there and it's, it's readily available. So I go to both the, the U.S. and the Canadian uh, uh, websites. Uh, they both use uh, outside sources that will, you know, collect the, the data and, and uh, surveys uh, for them. So in the magazine world, the, the current data is that the number of titles is uh, very consistent. It was actually up a bit in the, in the Canadian report. Uh, the U.S. report over the last 10 years, it's buried about 80 uh, titles on 7,200 titles. So a little up, little down year to year. But the magazine uh, is doing well as a printed piece. Okay, so, so my job is to, to tell people that story, <laughs> make sure they understand that and, and the value of magazines and readership. Perfect. So uh, we reached our second commercial break. Once again, Cassandra <laughs> will share uh, on our social media an important article, this time from Business in Edmonton magazine called All the Right Moves. Uh, why and how many times people change jobs in today's employment era. And we'll be, we will be back with our guest Pat immediately after the commercial break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I-Wallach at gmail.com. 
Now, back to this week's show. Uh, we're back uh, for the home stretch of our show, taking care of business with our guest, Pat Orman, uh, co-owner and publisher of uh, three regional magazines, Business in Calgary, Business in Edmonton, uh, Farming for Tomorrow, as well as Canadian uh, Funeral News, which is a national magazine. Uh, and, um, you know, I have one question uh, that relates to what we discussed before the break, which is where the whole uh magazine or printing or uh, kind of industry is going uh, is your biggest challenge what is your biggest challenge today is it the digital world because as i mentioned we all have our handhelds we have computers everywhere in there you go to a house today and you have five computers three tvs and seven phone and everybody is doing something so what is your biggest challenge in the printing versus digital or they complement or they complement each other uh, back to earlier it it, we're not challenged on the printing, we're the magazine, and the, and we need to separate ourselves. So okay. I think our biggest challenge uh, truly is the perception, is that we get lumped in with the daily newspapers. The The biggest difference that, uh, that we see is that when you're reading headlines, your phone works well. A headline plus 50 words, you know what happened roughly, and you move on. When you're in the magazine world and you're doing a, a 2,000 word article, on somebody's uh, life career and their business and uh, where they started and, and and what they've done, that's not nearly as friendly a read on uh, on a telephone uh, as as it is to get your 50 word clip. So, our biggest uh, challenge is perception. We sit down with uh, clients that go, well, everybody's reading online. The the one number that I will give you, and and this is a again back to the data and several sources, but roughly three to 5% of readers read magazines online. So we're not really challenged with the, the reality of it, but making sure that our clients and potential clients understand those numbers is probably one of our, our, uh, our challenges and something that we need to get to work at and, and do every day to get in front of, uh, of, in front of them and make sure that they understand that. So again, the readership on magazines is going up. Uh, it is a print plus digital now. And so we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that we don't forget about or, or leave that digital reader behind. But at this point, it's, it's uh, such a small number in the market that it's a difficult number to service really well and to have work in our business model. Now, I have a question for you as a reader. What's the difference um, that you see between regional and worldwide magazines? And, and I'll tell you why I'm asking. Maybe let me explain. My daughter, my youngest, um, she was still on a kind of, she has, uh, you know, a couple of magazines that arrive in our house every two months or something like that. And they are probably an inch and a half thick. And the reading portion is probably Two, two millimeters. All the rest is mumble jumble advertising, and that's why they sell it to me for two years at 18 bucks. But what is the difference between the two? The big, 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 big wells and the regional magazines? Well, to be clear, that's not mumble jumble. That's called life. <laughs> that's, that's your revenue stream. That's how we make a living. So just to clarify that. The biggest difference, and, and I mean, I see some of those too, and the, the fashion industry does an incredible job 
their reader is is tuned right in to what they want. It's a special interest group, and, and they do very well at it. Our regional magazines, we are very careful and cautious. Uh, business in Calgary, for instance, you will never see a story from business in Edmonton in business in Calgary or vice versa because they are regional. When you pick up business in Calgary, you will know many of the people, many of the sources in there. You will see the pictures. It, it ties it to your community and to your, uh, you know, to your business, if you will. And, and I think that's where, you know, people miss it. If you're going to be regional, make sure you're regional. Don't pretend to be regional and fill your magazine or your newspaper for that. I get you know. that. But my question was more about the percentage of advertising you have in your magazines versus those big magazines. Like it's, it's unparalleled. Uh, fair enough. We we have our business model and they have theirs. Uh, we will run between 45 and 50% advertising. That's what pays the bills. That's what gives us enough space to give good content. And, and let's be honest, content is king yeah. uh, to bring the reader in so that our advertiser does get good value. So uh, your magazines, do you guys have a digital form that you sh- kind of... Absolutely. Both of our, or all of our publications are online available to the reader to, uh, to go online. The one thing with a regional magazine, though, and again, with the business in Calgary, Edmonton and farming for tomorrow, is that we put a magazine at every address. We're a controlled distribution. So in Calgary, every business in the city gets a magazine through Canada Post. So there's very little uh, desire or impetus for the reader to say, well, I have this beautiful magazine in front of me, now I want to go online and read it. Yeah. So we get read, uh, you know, in the hard copy version. Again, all, all data will tell you that if you give people the choice and put a magazine here and a computer here, they're going to pick up the magazine. There's something tactile about it. Uh, there's still that, that drawback to it. We absorb better, we learn better, uh, retain better reading a magazine than we do online. That's, that's, you know, studies have been done on that for years now. So. Um, you know, all those uh, commentary that we heard over the last 10 years, um, the g- digital world is going to take over this and this and that. So let's go now, it's 2025. Let's kind of go into the future, right? It's 2025. Where do you see your magazines specifically and the magazine world in 2025? I, I think we're going to be fine in, in our uh, publications. I, I think if you're positioned properly and have solid focus and uh, your content and your readership is well matched and you have a team that's willing to work it, I we will still be here. I'm, I'm very confident in that. Uh, as I say, we just bought another print publication, so my my uh, view of print is, is probably stronger than it's been in a, in a number of years. 1995 was the first time a young guy sat across from me and told me that we would be out of business because this digital thing was going to take it all over. Digital absolutely and obviously has its place, but it has to be part of a business model that makes sense. Um, we've seen magazines in our, kind of in our realm, if you will, relatively the same size that has put all kinds of focus and efforts into the digital world at the expense of the magazine. Pretty soon it's gone completely and then you have nothing. So staying focused on our print is gonna be very important to us. And I think that our, uh, as long as we can deliver those readers to the clients, they will keep supporting the magazine. So um, since our 
program is about uh, giving advice to entrepreneurs and you say staying focused is, is key. Uh, I guess it's key for every business. How do you measure your success? How do you measure uh, where you are? Because if we say 2017 is where we are, 2025, we'll, we'll be here and this is how and why, and this is why, how are you going to measure? What, is, what are the measures that you, Tim, and you have to, to kind of make sure that you're in business and successful and can, you know, fly to Saskatchewan and go and ride your horses and uh, <laughs> look at the cattle before you choose the right steak? Uh, <laughs> Measurements of success is, is always a tough one. Comes in many forms for us at, at this stage of our career, uh, certainly. I mean, um, profitability is, is an absolutely key thing. I know sometimes it's a dirty word and a bad word, but if, if you can't uh, maintain your profitability and the focus of your team and your company to, to do that and produce a quality magazine, uh, you know, that, then you've got nothing. I, Huge financial success is not probably my number one item. Yes, we like to be successful. We like to have uh, the opportunity to have time to go to our farm and enjoy that, to spend time with our families. Uh, the, the publications, to me, it's more important that we do a really good job of what we do than to continue to do more and more of it. We Back into my history, uh, there was a time when we had 26 different titles under our umbrella and we were going in so many directions. Uh, some of them we had zero passion for. We had people hired to run them. That wasn't success in my world. We were putting out products that we weren't proud of. Uh, They're inferior. And, and that's not my model for success. If we continue on really with the four magazines we have to 2025, and they hold the number one position in the sector they're in, that will be success for us. So let me go back to the question, because profitability is a result. How do you measure that you have enough readers, enough publication, enough uh, advertisement? How do you measure your success in getting to profitability? I told you I'm going to let you sweat a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. We've, uh, when it, okay, uh, when it comes to the readers and the distribution, um, that's distribution, our model is set. Uh, we work with a, a Canada Post, frankly. We get it to every business person, for instance, business in Calgary, business in Edmonton. Uh, the readership, we do an Ipsos survey every three years, roughly. And they will tell us if we're slipping, if, you know, as they say, if the baby's ugly, we need to tune it up. Um, we've been very pleased with that in that the numbers have always stayed very consistent or etched up just a little on our readership, on the, the time that people will read our magazine, uh, how long you spend with the magazine. We, the one challenge that we have with magazines is we don't measure it all by clicks. You know, we actually have to have a, a reputable firm like Ipsos go out and say, look, are you still giving it the time? And those are very important to us. If, uh, if right now we're around the 25 minutes is what somebody will open a magazine and, and read and spend that half hour, let's call it, with us. If that was to go down to 10 minutes, we would be very, very concerned. I see. But it, but it hasn't. And, and uh, survey after survey uh, over the 27 years business in Calgary has been around. Uh, it stays very strong and, and that's successful as a publisher on that level. You mentioned earlier that uh, you bought Farming the uh, farming for Tomorrow yeah. uh, with, uh, without much due diligence. 
and because you couldn't do it. And then uh, you mentioned that you bought it less than a year ago. So where is this going to be in 2025? And how are you going to get there? We, uh, we actually just closed on that publication a couple months ago. So we are in the process of putting the first issue out. It's not a monthly magazine. Um, there's a, an incredibly uh, large agriculture community out there. It's a, it's a huge industry in Canada that not many people probably realize that the size of it. The publisher we bought from uh, did a really good job in some areas, but he left a lot of area untapped. So it was a great opportunity for us uh, when we looked at that. Uh, some of the other demographics that, uh, that we have, uh, agriculture sector, uh, only half of the prairies actually have high-speed internet. So are, are they sitting in front of their computer all day? Not likely. Does it mean they're not tech? They're certainly tech savvy. Yes. But how are they obtaining their information? So again, when we go back to print and if we can deliver a very good quality product in front of them that if they give us a half an hour of their time, it was a good investment. They've seen a return on the investment either just by having more knowledge or actually being able to implement best practices into their operation. You deliver that information and, and we will be successful, in my opinion. Um, is subscription disappearing from the world? Uh, it's more free because the advertisement pay for itself, for the magazine and the, and the profit, or the, <laughs> yeah. the, the bad word. And yet, uh, <laughs> three of our publications are what we call controlled distribution. And if I want to deliver uh, an audience to my advertiser, it's really difficult to do it on a paid subscription or a paid plus. I mean, if I tell you I'll give you a magazine for free and then tell you I'll charge you for it too, it's kind of a mixed message. It's hard to sell something. What we're more concerned with is delivering the audience to our advertiser. And if we can do that, that's been you know, our business model and, and the key to uh, 27 years in the publishing business. Um, we're getting very close to the end of the show, and um, I, I have a couple of questions to kind of uh, summarize. So, when you look back on the twenty-some years that you're uh, kind of run your own business, um, and uh, I want to start my own into business, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the digital or or, or printing. Where just as an entrepreneur, what are the good advice you can give an entrepreneur that want, or someone who wants to start their own business from your experience? I think the the biggest thing for for Tim and I was that you know failure is not an option. Um, if, if you go in with with heavy seeds of doubt, maybe you're on the the wrong path. Um, <clears throat> once you've made the decision, fully fully committed. Um, we we've got our stories as as so many entrepreneurs do, uh, releasing a payroll on a Friday afternoon and one of our investors phoning us ten minutes later telling us that he couldn't put the money in the bank. Um, that was a hard day, I'll tell you. It was kind of a sleepless weekend. <clears throat> but we we pulled, the, pulled our resources or, or made the calls, got it done. I, I just think that any entrepreneur that goes in thinking that, uh, you know, business is a, a cakewalk and, and easy and, uh, you know, a, a life of riches, uh, you're probably off on the wrong path. Uh, if you're passionate about what you're doing, uh, very important and fully dedicated. Um, so this journey that started dropping in grade 10 and going back and getting an engineering degree and now owning a business for 20 some years, what is the one thing you learned about yourself? 
Oh, that's uh, that's, uh, that's one of those. He's sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think and I, and again I'll go to to uh, Tim and myself is that uh, Tim is we, what did we, you learn about yourself about myself is that uh, I, I don't quit uh, we just don't quit uh, if there's a job to be done we go until it's complete I mean to the best of your physical and mental ability right uh, but it, if you start bailing before you've given it uh, everything that you've got I, I think that's a slippery slope and uh, I, I hope that you know. If, if you were asking this to my team and to my staff as to what quality, I, I would hope that that's what they would uh, come up with too, is that once we start something, we give it our all to finish it. And my last question to you was, it that what is the one thing you're proud in in your life? He's sweating again. <laughs> <laughs> Business is good. Um, you know, in, in this last couple of months, the, the, the one thing that I think I'm most proud of my family, you have children. When everybody is in the zone, my, my son is just about to uh, graduate. He's got one more semester or one more term left at Alberta College of Art and Design. He's on a path in life that's good. Uh, my daughter should graduate from Ryerson. She's on a path in life that's good. She knows where we're going. My wife has uh, just accepted a, a, a nice new job. And you know, when you get life going right, take the snapshot, enjoy it. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that. Perfect. We reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. I would like to thank my guest, Pat Oderman, uh, co-owner and publisher of Business in Calgary, Business in Edmonton, Farming for Tomorrow, and the one that we don't want to use, Canadian Funeral News Magazines. As always, a big thank you for, uh, to our growing audience across the globe. Uh, next week, I'll be hosting Ken Larson, a business coach that will put a mirror in front of entrepreneurs on what we say we should do and what we actually do. Uh, as always, thank you to Aaron uh, Keller, our engineer, Cassandra Anderson, my production assistant, and entire crew of Voice America host services. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear back from you. My email is dvwallock at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining. I will meet you here at www.voiceamerica.com variety next Tuesday, August 29th, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it. 